Code Enforcement Network. My name is Anthony Mullins. I'm with Four Leaf Inc. We are celebrating Black History Month with this great panelist we have today. We have four professionals, I mean, gurus in the code enforcement world. We have Ms. Sharon Gidry from Santa Monica, California. She's a code enforcement manager. We have Ms. Keisha Lara with the city of Austin. She's a code enforcement supervisor. We have Clifford, Cliff McGrady with the city of Hiram, Georgia. He's a zoning administrator. And Mr. Larry Brooks, he's a director with Al Alameda County, California. Good morning, team. How are you this morning? Doing well. Doing great, well, thank you. Well, this, this morning we're, just, we're celebrating Black History Month, um, but we're also learning about you great professionals. Um, we're going to start with Ms. Sharon Gidry. Give us a synopsis of your, your, your brief, your, your, your history of how you got started and what brought you to code enforcement. Oh, thank you, Anthony. Um, so I started my career in code enforcement in 1994 as a code enforcement officer. At that time, I was a young single parent, and um, I worked for the city of Linwood at the time as an administrative assistant, and had an opportunity through to um, be, you know, trained on the job for, um, you know, code enforcement officer position and then apply and get the position. And at the time, um, you know, what interests me about code enforcement was just a salary. You know, it was $600 more a month uh, than I was making as an administrative assistant. And in 1994, uh, you know, $600 a month was a lot of money. <laughs> so, um, and as a single parent. So, so I jumped at the opportunity, but I quickly realized um, that it was more than just a $600 a month um, increase in salary and the impact that the work uh, you know, made on the community and the lives of people. And it, it became something that I could see very early on um, as making, you know, my career. And, um, and, and so it is 27 years later, I've had an opportunity to work for five municipalities and, and rise through the ranks from a code enforcement officer to a senior officer to a supervisor. And then I've had the pleasure of managing three code enforcement divisions um, you know, in my in my 27 years and currently as a code enforcement manager for the city of Santa Monica. Wow, Sharon, 27 years. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. In your 27 years, Samuels, have you experienced any racial disparities or any being the first and only in your role? Unfortunately, yes. Um, you know, it's something that is is quite prevalent, you know, being a double minority, being a, a, a female and, and an African-American female in a, and back in the 90s, a predominantly white male dominated profession and to have a voice, um, you know, that was, um, you know, being received uh, an important voice. Right. Because the job is, uh, you know, to, to we we tell people what they need to do and, and, and they have to listen and comply. And so that was a challenge early on as an officer. I've experienced situations where I've gone out as the lead officer 
and had uh, a male counterpart, non-minority, with me and a, a property owner just refused, even though I'm doing the communicating, refused to communicate with me in turn to communicate, you know, with my, my counterpart and, and having to kind of step into that to, um, you know, to, to maintain the control of the environment and not let, you know, uh, my presence and my role to be dismissed. And unfortunately, um, you know, it continues, you know, we have these experiences of microaggressions that, um, that are present today, you know, um, one, certain, one instance I can remember not long ago, I went to a conference and I was, you know, obviously in, um, in regular clothes, I, I haven't worn a uniform in a long time. And I was speaking to a vendor about uh, code enforcement software. The conversation was pretty in-depth and technical, budget and all of these things where the person I was speaking with should have assumed that I was in some le type of leadership position. Um, however, at the end of that pretty extensive conversation, the person handed me the business card and said, have your manager call me. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just kind of taken aback by the fact that we've had this, this extensive conversation, um, you know, um, that a normal, you know, a code enforcement officer wouldn't necessarily have, but I, you know, the fact that I could be in a leadership position was just dismissed through that conversation to say, you know, have your manager call me. And I said, you know, I am the manager. And, uh, and, uh, and so that was, um, you know, surprising to the person that, mm -hmm. that I was the manager. And obviously I, I had just been, um, been dismissed. So, and that was just, you know, just pre COVID. It wasn't that, that long ago. So those types of things continue uh, to happen, unfortunately. Well, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate, Sharon. Um, when you say pre-COVID, I was thinking you was talking about 27 years ago. You're talking about pre-COVID. Um, it's very unfortunate um, in our profession still today in 2022. Uh, we still have these issues dealing with race. Um, being the first and only um, in 2022 is still hard to, to imagine. Um, coming from the South, uh, myself, being a young black professional, um, I, I, I too had those issues coming through the ranks of being a younger professional and, and not having the guidance from, it, it, not even race played a part. It was some people of the same color, um, just feeling threatened um, from, a, from, I guess, someone of uh, being younger, more, uh, not, not saying I'm more educated, but being more experienced in this profession and them not being experienced, but having a, a higher rank but some sometimes people are intimidated by our color and us being professionals in, in this profession um, you go to a property sometimes and you are the supervisor or the manager and you're getting questions who are you um, why are you here um, mm -hmm. so it's unfortunate shame for 20 for you to be in this profession 27 years to still deal with the same type of issues um, that you would think would happen in the 60s and 50s. Thank you, Miss Gidget, Miss Smith Sharon, for your for, you. for your description, for your overview of your profession and, and, and celebrating this Black History Month. I, I definitely, definitely appreciate you and what you've contributed to this profession, to this profession, and um, we, we thank you. Thanks, Anthony.
Next, we're, we're going to speak to Miss Keisha Lara from the city of Austin. Uh, Miss Keisha Lara, how are you this morning? I am doing well. Let me say good morning, everybody. Um, I hope everybody is doing well. I was in a car accident last week, so forgive me if I'm if I look stiff. Um, so to give you a brief summary of how I ended up in code enforcement, and Miss Sharon, I can definitely relate. So I came from, like I was telling my panel members before we went live, that I lived in California for 20-something years, and I moved to Columbia, South Carolina. It was a shock to me, coming from California. Um, a lot of things are different. South Carolina, to me at that time, was behind the times. I obtained a job with Richland County, working in the ombudsman's office, which is the call center. I did that for a year. After a year, I said, shoot, I'm tired of talking to these angry people every day. I want to do something else. So I was fortunate to transfer to the building department as a permit technician. Best thing that ever happened. And that was the beginning of my journey. I would sit at that front counter and I would hear my counterparts, my co-workers, male, Caucasian, come up to the counter and give these answers out of the residential code book. So eventually I started shoot. If they can do it, I can do it. So I studied. I took the test out of pocket. I passed. I told my director, well, I shouldn't say told. I asked my director um, if I could be considered as a residential building inspector for the next opening. And I told him that I had obtained my certification. He was surprised. So when the next opening came, I obtained the position. And that started my journey as a residential building inspector. My first inspection I had to go through training and ride with the seasoned male co-workers. First sight, the gentleman told me, you're too pretty to be an inspector. <laughs> you know, on the inside, I'm thinking, thank you. <laughs> but I told him politely, sir, I really appreciate that. But that's not going to help you pass this inspection. <laughs> so over time, I started to realize as you were saying, Ms. Sharon, they would talk to my male counterpart versus talking to me. So when I graduated um, out of the training program and started going on my own, I realized they would always ask me, well, show me in the code book. This never happened to my male counterparts. So I got smart. On that sheet, I started writing the code section. And when they would tell me, show me in the code book, I told them, sir, I wrote the code section right here. You can read it for yourself. So um, I encountered, when you say in Columbia, South Carolina, has a lot of rural areas. And when I transferred over to property maintenance, unsafe housing, which we know as um, code enforcement, I started going into the deep woods and I learned very quickly you have to leave yourself a way out because when you hear a shotgun being racked, okay, <laughs> I want to go home to my family the same way I came to work. 
I'm gonna leave your property and we'll handle this another way. So I have encountered, and I may be on a lonely island with this. Y'all, y'all let me know. Many times I have gone to a conference and the first thing I do is I scan the room. The majority males. And then when I scan for females, it's not that many black females. And I will have to say times are changing and I and I am grateful. And I always say, you know, I have special characteristics. So I learned that I had special characteristics because when you read my name, which is Hispanic, but you look at me, it started when I was in elementary. They would call my name going down the road, you know, when present and you raise your hand the teacher would call my name and look up and you could see the expression they were expecting to see this little hispanic girl and when they would see me it was like they were just in shock that oh she's black so that taught me at an early age that i had special characteristics but let me tell you i am proud to be a black female and I am honored to be in a profession where we are public servants and it is our job and our duty to help our communities foster civic pride. And we have to, I think times are changing and you can tell that because we have so much training on diversity, um, equity, equity, inclusion, we're trying to educate society. So when Pete asked me to be on this panel, you know, it brought me to tears because this is the first time that I've been on a panel to celebrate Black History Month. And Pete, I wanna tell you thank you. And I am honored to be on this panel with these outstanding members because I consider myself, I'm the baby, I, 16 years. And, and I when you're talking 27, when she said 27 years, I was like, man, she's been doing this a long time. So I feel like, hey, I'm trying to come down off the porch and, and play with the big dogs. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys having me on here. But it has been a journey. And like I said, I feel like I've always had to work 110% to prove that I was just as good as my male counterparts um, or a female that was Caucasian to show that, hey, I should be valued. I have something that I can offer you. Um, don't let my skin color deter you or give you um, a bias about what I can do, what I can bring to the table. And, you know, when people say, I don't see color, I, I don't think we should have that term because you should see color. You should see me as a black female, but it's when you add everything else, profile and stereotype is when um, you go down the wrong road, but see me as a black female because I'm proud of my blackness. And so I will talk forever. I know we need to get to our other panel members. So um, thank you. And I'm glad to be here. Oh, there's no rush, Ms. Keisha. <laughs> you actually answered several questions um, that I was gonna bring to the panel's um, attention. Um, 
how diverse do you guys feel our field is? I mean, I've been in this field for 15 years. I know I don't look like it, but uh, <laughs> um, I've been in this field for 15 years and I definitely can see exactly what you mean by that, Keisha. There's, there's definitely a change. Um, you go to national conferences, um, you look at the board, um, how diverse is our, our profession sometimes? Um, I've been to several conferences and like you say, you scan the room. There's nothing, you know, you're not, you know, looking for your friends. You're just trying to see how diverse is this. Um, and it's nothing against our profession. I just, I think we're getting better. I think there's more minorities in our roles and, and, and we're progressing. Yes. Definitely progression in, in, in our profession. I agree. Mr. Next, we have a gentleman by the name of Cliff McGrady um, from my great state. Georgia. Mr. Clifford McGrady, how are you doing this morning? Doing fine, Mr. Mullins. How about you? Pretty good, man. I'm, uh, like I said, I'm still getting adjusted to the West Coast. Uh, three hours behind. I, you know, you guys, 12 o'clock there, so I'm used to eating lunch right now. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for you and uh, Pete for the invitation. Yes, and uh Congratulations to, to not just myself, to this panel of this first event. And I am truly honored to be here, uh, to be even be asked to participate. Yes, sir. Uh, tell us a little about yourself and how'd you get to, to where you are right now? Now, I do have to take that baby status from you, uh, Mr. Burns. I've only been in this seven years. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, back in 2015, City of Hiram did not have a code enforcement uh, officer at all. When I came 15, started the code unit as far as uh, what the tickets look like, what the fines are going to be like. I mean, I, from ground zero is uh, how I code enforcement unit here. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to be the first to say from another perspective, not just being as our, two for our first two panelists mentioned, but females, but being a black man, uh, here in um, rural Georgia, not the country. Everybody says Hiram is the country. We're just 40 something outside of Atlanta, and we're soon to be a suburb. But uh, my first encounter, I remember walking into a business that was owned by a city council member, and the city council member was in the business. I walked into the business and was said, Hey, that's the code enforcement officer. And I stuck out my hand to one of the customers is that in a city council member's business. I want to stress that. And that business and that um, customer cussed me out from top to bottom. Didn't know my name, but made up a few names for me. And then with my hand out to greet this person. And again, I want to say it was a city council, one of the people who make decisions for me just stood there and let their customer just go up and down one side. Um, and, and my job was threatened, not, not, not just because in the next election, I'm going to make sure you get, uh, fired. I mean, went, went through the whole night. Um, so that, that was an extreme. So, and I, and I understand the feelings of, uh, a black female, but you be a six foot something black man walking into <laughs> on another man's property or another man's business, mm -hmm. telling him what the ordinance said. Um, I, I had another trick, uh, what was said earlier, I would print it out and hand it to him. 
So they would read it right out of the book. But uh, not just in code enforcement, but I've been fortunate uh, in these last seven years to be able to get promoted to a zoning administrator in the city administration for the city of Hiram. So here's the, here's the same look that you set up a meeting where developers want to come in and put three or $400,000 uh, into your city. I set up the meeting and I open the door and I greet them, set them down, but the meeting doesn't start till I sit down. And then the look on their face when they realize that the meeting won't start until this guy gets there is that same thing that still happens today. What I mentioned earlier was early in my career. What I mentioned now about the meeting situation is just a few months ago. But we still uh, are, I would say, in a press under a microscope. But one thing I do know and realize when we do our job to the best level that we can, they can holler and scream and call us what they want, but they cannot stop us from doing an excellent job. And that's one thing I've learned. We got to, we have to do an excellent job, um, mm -hmm. not just because we're black, but because it's a job we're being paid to do. Yes, and Anthony, you mentioned the, um, or was mentioned earlier, when we go to a conference and scan the room, you know, I go to conferences and start asking questions. I don't care your conference, my conference, and just start asking questions because we have to be, uh, we have to articulate. We have to articulate what we feel, what we see. And when we do that, um, it will bring notice to us. But again, because we're doing an excellent job, not just because we're throwing up sand. When we do an excellent job and we articulate and we're professional in our, in our articulation, it will pave the way. I said to you, Anthony, um, I'm just a guy here with a machete cut down the woods for a path of somebody behind me. So listen, and I, I'm willing to do that because I know this panel, you, Anthony, and Pete, amen, I'm not the only one out there paving the way. So we just have to be professional, articulate, and educated, and what is due us will come our way. Yes, sir. Hey, Clifford, you said it great, man. Um, we basically have to put ourselves at the table sometimes. Um, and yeah. Us being in this role, um, like you said, we, we we have to we have to pave the way. Uh, not just because we're black um, and or, or minority female, or both. Um, we have to pave the way, man. And, and doing a great job in our profession, being professional, articulating what we want, and, and doing a great job at it, being the best we can be. Um, I don't I don't like making excuses. I and mean, that's one of my things I tell my kids that don't make excuses, man. No, no, figure it out. Sometimes you you, you you go to the excuse because you don't know what else to do, but we can figure this thing out. Us being in the professional uh, spotlight as code managers, supervisors, etc., um, we know what we need. Um, yes, sir. Some of our units are not diverse. We're not just talking about color. You may have all, all males. Um, so we definitely... Have a we don't have, I can't say we have a long way to go, but we we have some things that that needs to be heard that, that needs to be put out there. And this this great panelists and this this discussion and celebrating Black History Month and celebrating diversity and inclusion and in, across the board, I think it's it's a it's a great time for this. And uh, Four Leaf ICC, the Code Enforcement Network, and 
code enforcement professionals across the world definitely will appreciate this panelist discussion. Um, Anthony, let me, say, Ed, let me say one more thing. We, we mentioned inclusion, and let's stop waiting to be included. And let's ask to be included on our, by ourselves. If we've got it, if we got it on lock, let, let's step up. Let's stop, let's stop waiting for somebody to ask us to step up. Let's step up and do the job. Inclusion is two way. They might want, they may, may or may not want to include us. But do you want to be included in the game? Do you want to see that at the table? And that's what we have to do. We have to want to be at the table. Definitely, definitely. Um, let me ask you this. Um, this is a panel question for everybody. Um, before I get to Mr. Larry Brooks, how many just a raise of hand? Um, how many sits? How many of you guys sit on association boards, uh, state association boards? Larry. Okay. How many past, present? I don't know, Cliff, you were on one? Yes, sir. Sharon, Keisha? Yes. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. I think we, we've all, I haven't, I've applied to get on boards. I've, I ran the state of Georgia case um, for vice president, but I didn't get it, unfortunately. But I think we have a chance um, in some of these associations to, to voice our opinion and, and what needs to be um, seen. I'm not saying just us, but we definitely have a voice um, at some of these tables and these associations boards across the, the, the great United States of America. Next up, Mr. Larry Brooks, um, director with Alameda County here in California. How you doing this morning, sir? I'm doing well, sir. I'm blessed. Thank you for, for having me. Uh, thank uh, Pete and the rest of the uh, Four Leaf team for putting this together. Uh, I've read up on the other panelists. Uh, congratulations on all the success, uh, the challenges that you have all overcome and are overcoming. Uh, so I'm just pleased to see you and to hear your experiences that you're sharing. I mean, we have decades of experiences here uh, and you see the same story being told over and over again that, you know, uh, Things really haven't changed. They're changing, but they really haven't changed. We, we get these episodes where it looks like things are moving forward and then things happen to put us backwards again. Um, you know, I've been I've really been blessed in so much as um, my career in code enforcement started in 1993 uh, in Sacramento County. Uh, and uh, the real backstory behind that is that I wouldn't have even gotten there if not for the women who hired me into my positions first as a human resource analyst in Oakland, California, well, actually Alameda County uh, as a human resource analyst, and then later on as a human resource analyst in Sacramento County, uh, it, it was women who put me in those positions. Um, uh, and as a result of that, then later on, it was white men who put me in the positions of being a uh, county administrative budget analyst, and I was assigned to environmental health. Uh, and through that uh, experience with environmental health, that's where I ended up in code enforcement. Um, and experience some of those same horror stories that the rest of you have uh, experienced in terms of uh, uh, 
at one point in time, I was a code enforcement officer for a police department. I had to wear a uniform that looked like a police officer, drove around in a car that looked like a police vehicle. And yet still I had, and my colleagues, uh, Reggie Lawson, another uh, black uh, man who's a code enforcement officer, we still had those experiences of people calling the police on us when we would go out to do our jobs. In some cases, we were just driving through the neighborhood doing windshield surveys for code violations and patrol units would end up coming around the corner uh, and blocking us saying, hey, somebody called the cops on you. Uh, and we, we would have a good laugh about it, but still it was sad that we had those types of experiences as code enforcement officers, even when we were in uniforms. Uh, looking like police, um, had other experiences. You know, California, a lot of people think of California as being very, very liberal. You know, that, that's the stereotype. But, you know, a lot of California is rural. Uh, and uh, there are many parts of California where uh, we do have chapters of the uh, Ku Klux Klan. Uh, and even in Sacramento, when I started there, the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan was actually a Sacramento County employee. And, and here I was having to try to work with this guy. Um, so, you know, those types of uh, challenges, the challenges that we uh, face uh, and other people of color face in terms of having to be uh, twice as good to go half as far, uh, being given, um, you know, three times the work of uh, maybe our, our white counterpart. Uh, had those experiences, you know, and as proof of that, when I left a couple of jobs uh, after doing wearing three and four hats at one time, uh, when my white counterpart came in and took my place, suddenly they found the money to hire two or three people to do uh, the work that I was doing by myself. Uh, those things are still happening. And so that's why I, I really appreciate this, this panel discussion, because I think only through sharing these experiences can we provide that call to action, you know, that uh, for what goals school on y'all, James Brown said, I don't want nobody to give me nothing, but just open up the door and I'll get it myself. Well, the thing is, throughout history, we've had to have people, oftentimes white people, open up that door so that we can come through and get it ourselves. And, and I see history repeating itself now in terms of the whole Black Lives Matter movement because we're hearing people say Black Lives Matter and I'm saying, okay, now prove it. Start opening up some doors. You, you know, be it government or private sector, you corporations, don't just say it in order for me to buy your product. I want to see you hiring people of color. I want to see you promoting people of color. And then I might consider buying your products, you know donate to the, the historically black universities and colleges, you know, um, my own pet peeve is, and, and on the East Coast, I see this happening. So I applaud folks there in, in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and uh, other uh, Detroit where corporations are giving money to help with child-led poisoning prevention. And yet here on the West Coast in Oakland, California, the child, uh, uh, Lead poisoning rate is higher than Flint, Michigan, uh, not because of water, but because of aging housing with peeling lead paint. And yet here we are next door to the Silicon Valley, all these billionaires. Uh, and yet we don't see corporate donations towards, you know, programs to uh, help code enforcement 
correct these types of uh, housing preservation issues. So, so again, I just really appreciate all of you for sharing these stories and for Four Leaf uh, putting this together because we have to have those uh, opportunities to to share uh, our stories so that people do know that this is still a problem uh, that needs to be addressed. So I could talk on and on too, but I want my esteemed panelists to get more opportunities to talk. So I'll shut up for now. Oh no, Larry, you, you, it's, it's no time limit, man. We, we, we're actually, it's a open floor for everybody. We're just, you know, int introducing everybody and so we can warm up to each other. But you actually, man, you, you hit it right on the head. Um, we have some things in this profession that, you know, you would think it would be old school, but it's still here. Um, working in the South, like, like myself and moving to the West Coast, I, I haven't experienced any of the, the disparities and the racial stares as, a, as I did in the South. Um, me moving to California, like you said, Larry, my first thought was well, it it's a liberal state. It's very, everybody's open and you don't have the racial um, issues we would have in the South. And I'm sure you guys have that here, but comparing the two, I have not experienced that here in California as I have in the South. Um, like you said, being a black male, um, the first thing you, people see with me is my beard, bald head, and me being bigger than another person. And it's, a, it's an intimidation factor. So, and when I first got into code enforcement, um, I was green. I didn't know how to knock on the door and I'm in code enforcement. I'm knocking, you know, and it's just like a regular person. So I was, I wasn't trained properly. So me going to a property, being a young black male, untrained, posed danger to myself. So any of the, not just being a young black male, but being a young inspector, um, the safety part of it, um, you know, it, it was un, it was unreal. So when you speak of these rural communities that don't have a lot of minorities on their staff and that's that's a part of training um i think it's not just um we're on here talking about black people um, it's minorities i'm in california and I'm, I'm surrounded by hispanics and i don't speak spanish so i think if i would have applied for a position here and i didn't speak spanish would i would they would have would they have uh, discriminated against me so I think a lot of it is a lot of training going to do with uh, our profession being a minority, being the first, um, and dealing with this. But let me ask you guys this: How would you change your units or your division? I mean, would you change the, the diversity in it? Um, has, what have what have you brought to your management or your, your city council or? about some of the issues with diversity, if any issues with diversity in your anybody? Um, I, I can speak a little bit uh, to that. I mean, I've always tried to, um, to hire the best available, uh, um, you know, staff, you know, irrespective of color, but also celebrate the opportunity to, um, to bring into the fold uh, minorities. You know, the interesting thing is, um, and I agree with, with Keisha and, um, and, and Cliff in saying that we have, you know, there's this 
kind of pressure that we, uh, this unspoken pressure that we work under to be, to excel, to do well, to, to produce, a, um, you know, an excellent product, understanding that we are of the minority and, and the feeling that we won't get the considerations if something happens. So we, we work it in a, under a pressure of trying not to make those mistakes to put us you know, in that position, I have to defend ourselves. And, and so that happens in leadership as well. You know, you want to make sure that you hire good people, um, but you also want to want to have a diverse group and, and where there is, you know, we still experience, we've come a tremendously long way in our profession since, since I started in 94, but recognizing that is still there. And we, we experience it in outside in the community. We experience it um, you know, in the hierarchy of our organization sometime. I've been really fortunate to not have to do that, have to experience it in my in my hierarchy. I think it's because of the the work ethic and the and the and the excellence of the work that I produce that I've been fortunate in that way, but I've seen it with others. And then we also experience it from our rank and file. And as you all were talking, it reminded me of a situation where in hiring I've I've hired you know, folks of all races, you know, backgrounds, um, um, genders, sexual orientations. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter a factor in, in, in the selection process. But when I, when there was a, a, a point where the, the three previous officers that I um, hired were all African-American, uh, there was a complaint lodged that in order for Sharon to for you to get hired by Sharon, you have to be black. It was shocking because of the folks who who took issue with it. I hired them as well and they weren't black. And the, and the whole workforce, 90 percent of the folks that that were working at the time were were not we're not black. And so the idea, obviously it wasn't true, but the idea that there couldn't have been three uh, black officers that rose to the top of the, of the process, three recruitments in a row, that that was the, the first, the premise, you know, that they lodged the complaint, like it's not possible. It was, was shocking, right? It was, it was shocking that that's still a thing, you know, it wasn't a thing. It, it, there wasn't a question when there were three Hispanics in a row um, hired or three, two Caucasians or, you know, there was, there was no issue. Uh, there was no question about my integrity until three officers in a row were hired who were African-American. But because of my, my work ethic, my, what, you know, my reputation, from the hierarchy, there was it was never a question. I never had to defend those hires, but the fact that that question uh, was or that issue was brought forth by some of the rank and file, you know, it was especially those that you have relationships with. It's shocking when those things are revealed, and then you try to, you know, it, in um, in our own way, you know, educate. Uh, without having to defend, you know, the hire, because I think then you marginalize the folks that you hire to try and defend the hiring, which, um, but, I'll, but to use it as a teaching moment of, um, and because we are in a time of racial equity and, um, and um, 
these conversations we can have more openly where we have, um, I think, historically shied away from these types of conversations in the workplace, uh, not understanding how they would necessarily affect, you know, affect us or or the group or, um, you know, our reputation. Yeah. Well said, Sharon. I, that was excellent. I definitely agree with you. Um, it, it, it's shocking, like you said, when you hire three of the same race, you have a, a question of are you favoritism because of color? And I think that's that's like, that shouldn't happen. That should not happen at all. Um, I think you. We all. One of the questions I was going to ask the panel is: Do you see our profession becoming more diverse? Um, and I think it is, uh, in my opinion, it's becoming more diverse, even on the, with having more women in the workforce. Um, when I started, there were two women inspectors. Um, when I left uh, CSL Fulton, um, there were actually five. So, you know, that it, it, not saying that that's a big amount or a small amount, but I think in our profession, you don't see a lot of women, and particularly African-American women in, in, in code enforcement. Um, in the city of Atlanta, um, they have, I mean, being the city of having a lot more African-Americans, of course, you see uh, a, a, a large amount of African-Americans um, in this profession. Um, but I, I think that's because of the region and, and where they are. Um, I think on the West Coast, I see, see the same thing. Um, a lot of more Hispanic women are in this field. Um, and, and, and not just Hispanic, but different races. Um, not different races, but different cultures. Um, so I think our profession is very, it's getting diverse, but we have a long way to go um, in, in terms of some of the racial issues, um, dealing with hiring, um, uh, being the first black manager, being the first black inspector, um, some of the issues of uh, discriminating against us coming to a property or being being on a property uh, in, a, in a all white neighborhood. Those are some, some of the things I think we, we should have at some of these conferences. I think that should be a, a discussion of topic, not just for a discussion, but something, you know, a round table panelist discussion like we're having right now. So that can, being said. Can I say something really quick? I guess for me, I, I expect to experience those things, you know, out in the public. It's just, disheartening when it happens to you in your place of work. Right. When you have all the training and you take all the classes and people say that they don't do this and they don't do that, but you still see it in an experience. So let me, for example, you're sitting in a meeting and you give your idea and you articulate professionally and you're told, oh, no, we don't want to do that. No, that's not going to work. So you kind of think, okay. Two weeks later, same group of people. Male counterpart says the same. Well, I shouldn't say says the same thing. They have the same idea that you had two weeks ago. And it's the best thing to slice bread. And you're just thinking now, two weeks ago, I just said the same thing. And you said 
it wouldn't work. We don't want to do that. And it just makes you feel like, okay, well, why didn't you want to do it when I said it? Did I not articulate well enough? Or is it because I was a female? Or was it because I was a black female? Which one is it? And you just hate to think that it has anything to do with color or that I'm a female. You just think, well, maybe I just didn't explain it thoroughly like my counterpart did. But in your mind, you're thinking, okay, I know I articulated and I gave you the justification in the backup. <laughs> but okay, whatever. Has anybody, have y'all experienced that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just me. I just, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And that, that's where I have this saying about sometimes you have to let your feet do the talking for you. And mm -hmm. I, I often say people don't leave organizations. They leave the people within those organizations. And I've had several opportunities to let my feet do the talking. And all of a sudden, those places where they didn't seem to like my ideas after I left, they were begging me to come back. And in many instances, offering me promotions to come back. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's one of the reasons why I think even though we see some change, as Malcolm X said, sometimes, you know, the tea kettle starts to boil and all they do is lift the lid off. And then the water goes back down when you take the lid off. So we have to keep the pressure on. You know, it's like with affirmative action and Ward Connolly stepping in and messing that up for all the young folks who were trying to get into colleges. Um, you know, things get better for a minute and then things change again. So I think through these types of forms, it's a way of keeping the pressure on, reminding people that, you know, uh, race equity and inclusion is something that has to be ongoing. Uh, you don't get away with just hiring a few token folks and then you say, okay, you know, I, I, I've, I've met my quota. Now I can step step away from this, you know. And, and in terms of sharing, talking about, um, you know, those stresses, I've seen how that has played out against us in terms of what I call black on black crime. Um, at one point in time, I had dreadlocks and uh, I was a code enforcement manager at the time. And uh, a black woman approached me from an agency that um, I really kind of would have wanted to go to work for. She was like, hey, you're a great manager, but we can put you in an executive position. Uh, the problem is uh, you won't fit in unless you cut those dreadlocks. And I was like, sister, please, you actually are the emissary for these people telling me to cut my dreads in order to get this job. But as I thought about it, again, it was that stress that we're often put under to where we try to conform. And in conforming, uh, uh, like you said, Sharon, you were hiring people of color and all of a sudden people were trying to criticize you for it. Uh, th those are the situations where we can't give in, which you didn't, thank God. Um, and we have to keep telling that story so that people begin to understand, again, that, you know, things, the more they change, the more they remain the same, as they say. You know, Holly Berry, I was reading an article about Holly. She said that she was telling her daughter she never dreamt that we would have a black woman as vice president. And her daughter said, well, what are you talking about, mom? We always had Barack Obama. And she corrected her daughter and said, no, you have always had Barack Obama. You know, things 
are only recently beginning to change, and we have to keep the pressure on for those changes to continue. Definitely. Totally right about that, Larry. Um, we, we have to keep this discussion going, not just doing Black History Month. Um, like you said, you didn't, we didn't put this panel together just, just to have this discussion and make everybody feel good about uh, Black History Month. I think this needs to be a discussion ongoing. Um, it needs to be brought up in other panel discussions, in other board, in, 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 in other areas um, outside of um, these conferences. Um, so some of these behind the, the, the scenes, convers- the behind the scenes uh, meetings, uh, some of you guys have with your city council meetings. Uh, it's, it's definitely um, needs to be an ongoing discussion. Let me ask you guys this. Have, and, and what Keisha made a great point by saying some of her ideals are not, were not brought up because her being a female or being black. Now, how many of you have introduced something just for minorities in your organization and it's been pushed to the side just because it was for minorities? When um, when Keisha mentioned that, I literally just started shaking inside uh, because that has been an experience, and um, for me, and and as she said, you you do start to ask yourself the questions: Why is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm a female? You know, is it because I didn't articulate it? You know, um, in in a way that was uh, desirable, but. Uh, you, where I have always been more comfortable uh, moving in the backgrounds, understanding a couple of things. Number one, code enforcement is always controversial. And so if you can, you know, keep it in the background and just march on and do your job, you know, that's that's the safe way to do it. Um, um, but, you know, as you as you move up in the in the profession, then you become the face, which is a, which is not necessarily a comfortable place as it as it should be. And, uh, and then to see your ideals, um, that you have pushed and, and, and articulated, um, in some way you, it's stolen from you and, and, and someone else own it as their own and then presented it and it's embraced and received. And then to see it happen, the boots on the ground, and it is as, uh, effective as you said it would be, but you have someone standing and taking credit for it publicly, as 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 much as I like to, uh, or prefer to operate in the background, it makes you want to stand up and scream and say, "No, you know, um, that that was my idea, and I should get credit for it." But you can't do that, and so the frustration, you know, builds. And then there there's this added layer of frustration when. The people in the hierarchy know it was your idea. They know that you pushed this for so long and they stand silent. And then that silence is consent. It's like giving consent to what the what you feel is an injustice. And to, to you know, where I'm not a, a boastful person, uh, but to to get credit for something so impactful is something that we um, you know, we work towards in, in, in our profession to leave a legacy of doing something meaningful in the community. You know, the legacy that I leave when I hang my hat up is really important. And when these things, these ideas, these programs are stolen 
and 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 given to under someone else's name, it's really hard to a hard pill to swallow. And then you still scramble, at least I do, to make sure that my legacy is intact, that I, I came through this profession and I did make a difference, you know, and, and there are times when I don't get credit for it and to be okay. And and then to have relationships with some of those people in a hierarchy to be able to share how disappointed you are at their silence. Like at least, you know, to do that privately where you can't necessarily do it publicly. But the frustration is certainly real. And it just it just uh, made me start to shake when um when Keisha mentioned that. What'd you say? Yeah, Yes, sir. Let me say this. And one thing I've learned here, and, and I'm going to touch on a couple of things as far as uh, I believe uh, Sharon was talking about hiring people. As a code enforcement officer, I was able to sit on the board who, who on the board that uh, interviewed uh, new police officers because I was under the police department. And a couple of times I go, Cliff, you really like them. And I'm like, yeah, I really do. <laughs> and it wasn't just because uh, the individuals uh, was black, but because uh, they had the, the real qualifications to do it. And um, you can bring uh, diversity in your area of influence. Uh, um, Larry, Larry has, has mentioned um, being blessed, and and I'm going to assume I'm going to launch out here. But Scripture says that we can enlarge our territory that we can sit in one place and influence another place and influence another area. And that I was able to bring some more diversity to our police force before I was able to hire my replacement, a black female, as a code enforcement officer. As a code enforcement officer, I was able to influence the hiring of uh, minorities into the police department. And now in this position, I've been fortunate enough to, to influence uh, to bring diversity to our to the eth ethics board for our city council and bring the first black female on our city council. So our area, we sit in code enforcement, but let's know that our area of responsibility, Lord increase our story, can reach outside of code enforcement. So and that's one thing I've learned. And also it's, um, you may articulate it, we may have the best idea, it may be, it may be the politics behind it. So I've learned to play chess and not checkers. So the long term game is, is it getting done? Yes, I want I want my pat on the back every every now and then. But if we if we play chess, sometimes in some situations with the politics instead of checkers, the end game is still going to is still going to happen. So we're setting a legacy for for those behind us and for those to come. Well said. Well said. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I know we have, it says we're in at 10 o'clock, everybody, but, you know, we can go over. But I, I know we're respectful for everyone's time. Um, I know uh, the world of code enforcement uh, is, is a busy one. So sitting on here for a whole hour, I know you guys probably have a lot of calls and emails to get back to. But in closing, in the last five minutes, I want to give each one of you a minute to, to, to close to say where do you see this profession in the next, say, 10 years uh, as, as far as diversity um, and, and, and inclusion? Um, and I'll speak of that as where do you see it going and, 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 and where would you like it to, to be 
and, and what action will you put into it? Maybe we start with Ms. Keisha. Well, I think we're headed in the right direction. I would like to see more of us in this profession. Um, I believe innovation, technology is helping our profession. But we who are paving the way and those that have paved the way before us, we have to continue to do a, a better job, stay open-minded, always learning. I, I'm, I'm a believer in education. I'm always trying to learn something new. Don't be afraid to pass on what you know. As they say, you know, reach down. If you're if you're up here, you feel you're up here. Reach down and grab somebody by the hand and bring them up. Bring them up right. with you. Teach them what you know. Don't leave the profession and take all the knowledge with you. You know, that's what you know. ICC building inspectors are facing. You know, those those people are retiring. Leave that knowledge with us so that we can become better and help those coming behind us so that they can have a easier way. Um, and I believe we have to continue to be, you know, you have to have morals, ethics, because you see sometimes in the news where we, we lose our way, we have to teach the ones coming up behind us. We have to. We can't be afraid that somebody's going to take your job. Right. And be an example. You're a leader. Lead by example. You know, and when you were talking about um, closing remarks, I just want to, I had another question, you know, do you experience difficulty with people that you supervise? You know, for me, I can tell when a male has a problem taking orders from a female. That's something that I have had to deal with for years. I would like to see that change. And, you know, we talk about all of the training and the classes that we give to people that I take. But as with anything else, the person has to want to make a change. I can teach you all day long. But if it's just in you to do the opposite, all that training is not going to help. So. Um, I see that we are moving in the right direction. <laughs> Things are changing. I want to be a game changer. As Sharon said, when she leaves her legacy, I want people to know that Keisha Lara was here. And you are here. We appreciate you. Thank you. And I am so honored. Yes, ma'am. We are honored, too. And I'm actually honored to, to actually be the host and moderator Um. You know, Peter's a great uh, brainstormer, guru for this profession. Um, we yes, actually we, we put yes. this together. Um, just brainstorming is, is, is two co-professionals, um, and this was something that's needed. Um, and, and, and actually, overdue. Um, like I said, we this is not just for Black History Month. I think this is going to go further. Not think I know it is. So my part with Four Leaf is definitely to be more of, I'm, I'm still code enforcement, but I'm definitely going to educate us, I mean, yeah. minorities in this profession on what they're getting into and, and, and 
how to progress in this profession as a minority and, and, and as a people. Um, as we end now, it's just being Black History Month. Do you guys know who Howard P. Grant is? Nobody knows who he is. Do we know what? I'm sorry, say it again. Howard P. Grant. Howard P. Grant. First black civil engineer. So, like, I, I know it's Black History Month. I went to HBCU, Tuskegee University, go to you. Um, we had a class of black scientists and inventors. And when I tell you, I can't name every last one of them, but it amazes me how this world is would not function right um, without those black scientists and inventors. So I, 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 I task each of you on this panel and who's listening today to Google black scientists and inventors. And you will definitely be amazed how many mm -hmm. uh, black scientists and inventors have invented things that you use today, like mm -hmm. the stoplight. May I take a, a moment yes, sir. Yes, sir. To, to challenge you, meaning Four Leaf, uh, you know, speaking on what Cliff said in terms of playing chess here, uh, what we need to do. I know I sit on the board of directors for the California Association of Code Enforcement Officers and recently got with some of my uh, Hispanic brothers and we, and we formed a little Christians and code enforcement segment for the upcoming um, code enforcement conference where we're going to be able to set aside and do our own little devotional and prayer and stuff. And, and that came after I asked uh, the president of the association, Jamie Zeller, could we do that? She bought into that. I'm asking for the to look into the idea at the next California Association of Code Enforcement Officers Conference to do something as a set aside for code enforcement officers of color that we might be able to talk a little bit or either do a workshop on, uh, you know, race equity and inclusion for the other members of KCL to understand why we're talking about the things that we are talking about so that some of those doors begin to open. So uh, I, I would like you and Pete to consider that before leave to, to help us, as Cliff said, uh, play chess, not checkers. Hey, Larry, I'm glad you said that, sir, because that's something we want to, we want to bring that to the forefront and not just be a panelist, panelist discussion. So this is a big yes, and my boss definitely said it's a big yes. <laughs> well, I just... Uh, we're going to make it happen. Um, so I definitely will do my part to make this happen um, at any future conferences that I'm most definitely privy to go to. Um, we're definitely going to make this happen. Not only at KCO, FACE, GACE, all of these conferences, I think this is a discussion that needs to be worldwide um, on, on what we're talking about. Um, so I definitely will bring it to, to the managers to be um, and, and, to, and they're listening, so I'm sure they, they, they see what we're talking about. So this was great, team. I, I really appreciate you guys for taking this time out of your busy schedules and days and um, celebrating Black History Month and giving us your 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 brief history, um, your insight on diversity, inclusion, and all of the the experiences you've had over the years in this in this great profession. So, on that note, team, um, you guys have a blessed day. Be safe out there, and um, make sure you educate before you citate. 
<laughs> Make sure you uh, definitely spread the love and code enforcement. I appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you, Anthony. You did a great job. And thank yeah, you, all yeah. of the uh, esteemed panelists. Thank you. Excellent. So you guys were awesome. And, uh, you, you guys helped me with the butterflies in the beginning. You know, Pete, Pete is, he, he does this for a living, man. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be on TV and networking and, and being in front of me and people. So, um, you know, I, I can't say I can get used to it, but I, you know, I, I can. I like this. I'm not You're natural. You're natural. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So it's a different hat I have on, but I appreciate Four Leaf definitely for giving me this opportunity um, to moderate and, and um, being in front of uh, the ICC chapter of Code Enforcement in Orange County and, and all of these different organizations uh, learning about mm-hmm. diversity, inclusion, and equity in, in code enforcement. And Larry, definitely, we need to speak offline about this association um, and, and make this happen. This is not going to be the last conversation. So look forward to having the email sent from me and Pete, and we're definitely going to make this happen. Amen. Yeah, I just want to thank, thank Curly for having the courage to have this type of conversation. I mean, it's it's unprecedented and I, like I said, I've been in this profession for a long time and, and to step out and be the first to have this kind of conversation in our profession is very commendable. So thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. Definitely. Um, it's kudos to Four Leaf for stepping out there and um, paving the way in this profession. I definitely appreciate them for, for letting us have this today. And, and um, it's not going to be the last I guarantee of that. Well, team, I appreciate you guys. Um, I know you guys have a busy day and schedule. Um, you guys need me. You know how to reach me. And um, we'll speak soon. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye.